Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. When I think about that phrase, they know not what they're doing. Now, it wasn't like Jesus didn't know what they were doing. He knew what they were doing. I already gave you a general track record of the people just while he was on this earth. Here's what they didn't know. They didn't know the blindness of their own mind. They were doing this because they were dead spiritually. They didn't know the depravity of their own heart, how it was filled with wickedness. And this was only wicked nature doing wicked things to a God-man on the cross. They didn't know the identity of their victim. In fact, they did everything they could to try to find fault with Christ. They couldn't do it, so they even had to trump up some people to make up lies. And yet he was still a victim. They didn't know the true identity of him. And in my opinion, the worst of all is they did not know the enormity of their own crime, their own sin, and their own life. So when it says they do not know what they're doing, it shows much more. It shows a carnal mind at enmity against God. And while I look back at those people and I kind of point my finger at them and do the old-fashioned grandma to grandson, you, shame on you, I could do that to those people, but I look back at my life. How many times has it been in my life that I used God's name in vain? How many times in my life that I knew quite well what God wanted me to do and I didn't want to do it? How many times in my life, maybe not figuratively, physically, but certainly my heart, I would say, why me, why this, why now, why God, and all of that. So in some measure, in some degree, the same sore juice is on me as it was on all of them. And I would hope to think that you would be humble enough to say that as well. So all that, they were facing this in his life. And yet, while he was being reviled, Because he was perfect, he didn't revile again. So what's maybe one of the first lessons that we can learn? What does this teach us? It teaches us that Jesus died forgiving those who sinned against him. Now let me say that very slowly. Jesus died forgiving them who sinned against him. The creator of the universe. The eternal I am. The king of all kings. The only God. He would forgive them. And I think about forgiveness. For some of us, we barely use the word forgiveness because we rarely even apologize. When we do something against the other person, we make a lot of excuses. We play some mind games. And if it was really bad, we might say, I'm really sorry. And then we make an excuse why we did it. So we say we're sorry, but it was because I had a bad day. We did this because I'm tired. We did this because whatever. And really, forgiveness is huge in the Bible. And to me, it's one of the, if I could say, one of the more cardinal doctrines in the doctrine of salvation or soteriology is forgiveness. Why? Because forgiveness is taught all the way from Genesis to Revelation, always amplifying what it is and what's involved in all of this. In fact, those of you that know much about the Old Testament, you know that uh, the laws were there to reveal that we are sinners and we need a Savior, so it pointed us to the future Messiah that would do that. But it was also revealing to us how that we are sinners. And no amount of rules, regulations, rituals, and resolutions will ever get rid of that sin thing that's going on in us. And God says there's nothing you could do. So the moment I set this up, I set it up already letting you know you're going to fail. But he says, I'm not going to let you just fall out of the airplane without a parachute. So he says, I'm going to give you a parachute. The parachute then was, you then need to take an animal. 
And with that animal, you had to slay that animal. That animal couldn't be just any animal. It had to be a certain animal. It couldn't be just a certain animal. It had to be a perfect animal that had no blemish on it. And then when you would often do this, you would take this animal and you'd take two of them. One you would slay and you'd take the blood on one and you'd dip it on the head of the other one and you'd let the other one go. That's where we get the word forgiveness because that means release. We released. We released that animal. Set it free when that occurred. Now that all was done not to actually totally forgive that person of eternal damnation. What it really was is to prepare them for the coming Messiah. So they did this knowing that these were just earthly lambs, animals, but we know the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world is going to come. So even in the Old Testament, we are in the need of forgiveness and God set it all up. And at the very end of all of this, he then says, all right, my son, Jesus Christ, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the the perfect Son of God. So you've got forgiveness going on. For some of you that are kind of new in the island here, we have a word that's called ho'oponopono. And our island people, most of them know what that means. And in the island culture, pono means to make right. So ho'oponopono means that there's been a violation between, to make it very simple, between, say, two people. It could be between two entities. Whatever it might be, one violated the other. When you do a ho'oponopono, that's basically saying we need to make it right. In the process of making it right, obviously... The cardinal teaching is you've got to have forgiveness in here. You cannot have forgiveness until one of the parties takes ownership of the crime that was done. And so that sometimes may take a matter of minutes, but often when we use it today, the ho'oponoponos could take hours, hours and hours where you sit down, watch this, with no negative energy. You talk about how did this violation occur? Who did it? Why did we do it? How did it happen? How did it hurt? What could we learn from this? What could we do different? The person who's been violated, once they understand the violator is taking ownership of the violation, they then bestow a ho'oponopono and a forgiveness on that person, and the relationship is restored, and it could basically take hours. There's been many ho'oponoponos done over the centuries here, and it has really worked out well for those that did it right. But the greatest ho'oponopono was done on the cross when Jesus Christ died there. And so while he's hanging, writhing in that pain, he could still think about number one, Quote, in a sense, my worst enemies that did this to me, they just didn't say, you're just a stupid man. They brutalized this man and humiliated this man in front of everybody. God, man, as you well know. And he says, forgive them. So why should we have hope today? Well, the greatest hope I get out of this is that Jesus promises that he will forgive me. Now, In Scripture, it says he will do that over and over. He will forgive. He did forgive. You're going to find he said he would forgive. Your Father forgive them for they don't know what to do because he's talking to God the Father, although he is all one. You also see in the New Testament, the uh, writers of the New Testament are often referring to forgiveness again, and it's all found in Christ. Together we are alive in Christ, having been forgiven of all sins, so we're together in Christ as a result of, because of, how we're in one in Christ. We've been forgiven of all sin. It's all done through Jesus Christ. And so if he could hang on a cross, and look at these people that are down here doing all this stuff to him, that have done this stuff to him, and he could look up at the Father, and the very first thing he wants to take care of, the first order of business is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And if they were so bad, it kind of gives hope for me and for you. So what I want you to know and take away from this, what's our hope for today? Jesus Christ is the only one who has the right, the capacity to fully and forever forgive you, and I love this phrase, of all sin. Now, under the word all, you can draw every single sin that you think that would keep you forever separated from God. Number one answer is, the littlest thing will keep you separated from God. 
The biggest thing, though, no matter how bad it is, God can still forgive that. All of your sin can be forgiven. Now, that's the truth. So now my question is, is how should we live? There's two ways I think we can live from that passage. The first is, it makes no difference if Christ died on the cross and he paid for sin and he's crying unto the Father, forgive them for they know what they do. It's no good that he did all of that if I don't engage that. What good is it that Jesus died, paid my sin debt for me, did all of this forgiveness thing, and I don't accept that into my own life? And so you know the truth now, folks, and I urge you that you would receive from a very loving father who has already demonstrated that he would forgive the worst of sinners, at least in his life at that moment, that he could forgive you. So whatever right now you're carrying on you as a block between you and the Lord, I want you to know that block can be and will be removed from you and the Lord because the opposite of um, being an enemy of God and that brings about a friend of God relationship is the concept, the teaching, and the action of forgiveness. So you are forgivable. And some of you might be thinking there, yeah, but not everybody. Look at all these people here. What about those people? For a moment, do this. Don't worry about everybody. Not everybody is going to get on the bandwagon of Jesus Christ. Scripture already said that. You read it in the history of Christ just in the Gospels. They're not all going to... And it's not making it more truth that more people get on that bandwagon. It's truth whether we believe it or not. It's just truth. It doesn't matter how many people will use your stove and turn it on and now start boiling water on it. It doesn't make that any less of a stove or any less heat just because only one person uses it and not everybody else. It's still truth. And so I hope that you would, for a moment, just kind of step aside from all the people and all the voices that you might hear and just hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you through the Word of God right now that He will forgive you of all sin and all it takes is by you trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen. All right. Now, I hope that you would keep that in your mind. Now, what's the second thought that I could take away from that statement? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Well, while I receive from the Lord forgiveness now because I'm choosing to know he did that, know he will do that, and I want it for me, so I'm going to him. I'm trusting him as my Savior now. He's the only Savior. I have the forgiveness. Now, is it just about me enjoying that forgiveness? No, I want to be like Christ. I want to follow in his steps. And one of the things I want to do, and I need his power, and that is I want to look at the people that have been in my life in the past, and I want to grant them a do-over. I want to grant them a level of forgiveness that was given to me. I did not confess all my sin to Christ when I got saved. I just said, I'm a sinner, and I became a Christian. And so what I would like to encourage all of you is that maybe if you want to be like Christ, heed those last words and say, you know, if it was good enough for Jesus to forgive them of all the junk they did and he was God, then Lord, would you help me to bestow upon those people in my life a blanket forgiveness? Will I allow them to have a do-over? Will I at least give them grace until God then touches their life? If not, then you're going to be taking to your deathbed the burden of that person, the bitterness the wounded spirit, and all the junk that's going to mess up the quality of spiritual connection to the Lord you could have because you're still holding on to something like that bitterness and not releasing it through forgiveness. So let me encourage you to do that. Is there anyone even today that you need to have a conversation with, have a Hawaiian ho'oponopono with, and try to release that person? Well, that's statement number one. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I love that last phrase. They know not what they do. They know not what they 
do. There are a lot of people in my life that have hurt me from time to time, and I'm not a, I'm not a martyr's complex. You all have them, I have them, we do too. But once I realized a lot of that that they did, they really did not know what they were doing when they did that. So there's a little bit of ignorance. These guys knew what they were doing to Jesus, but they really didn't know the enormity of it. The people that hurt you, they, they know what they were doing. You know that. But they don't know the enormity of it all. So maybe you can give them a little grace and a little mercy at that time. That's all I'm saying. You receive the forgiveness first. You've got to have that because once you receive the forgiveness, that's the humbling part. Lord, I, can't, I need you. I can't, I'm a sinner. I, I've carried this bitterness, whatever. I, I give it to you. I'm trusting you. Now you're given the forgiveness. Christ comes inside of you. This is beautiful. Now Christ is forgiving those people in your life through you because he's the forgiver. All right, let's go to number two. The second phrase he said on the cross after he said that is found in Luke chapter 23, verse 43. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Today you shall be with me in paradise. Now, earlier on in the message when I began, I shared with you that he had two thieves on each side of him. There's been some debate because they say, well, one thief was over here and he was really busting on Jesus and the other one, you know, he said, oh, Father, I want to be with you and all of that. I also found scripture that said while they all three were hanging on the cross at the beginning of it all, that both of these thieves were railing on Christ. Somewhere in the moments, perhaps at the beginning moments of Christ on the cross, however long that might have been, there was a, uh, a transition. One of the thieves began to, so to speak, wake up a little bit. And then he's saying, you know, to the Lord, remember me when you are in your kingdom. To which then Jesus said, you shall be with me today in paradise. So principle number two is Jesus died bringing the truth of eternal life to a condemned soul. Now we know this person was condemned because he was a thief, but all of us are condemned because we've all been outside the faith. We're all sinners, etc. And yet he would still say to them, today you shall be with me in paradise. Wow, what a phrase when I think about that that person could still be with him in paradise. The real phrase that I thought set this whole thing up is when the thief said this, this man has done nothing wrong. Now, I would like you to write in your notes, if you will. Take it right alongside these notes. There's four phrases I want you to pick up out of this to really help you understand what was going on in the last words of Christ on the cross. The second phrase, truly, today you shall be with me in paradise. He didn't look at the thief over here that was railing on him and saying, you, buddy, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He did look over to the other thief and he said, you today will be with me in paradise. What was the difference between one thief and the other thief? Watch this phrase. I don't mean to go too deep with you, but just catch it. One is called common grace. Common grace means it's grace common to everybody. It rains on the just, it rains on the unjust. There's air for us all to breathe. There's things that happen in our life. Doesn't matter how you live, it's still going to come your way. That's just common grace. Then you have what is called saving grace. This is grace directed to those specifically who are now engaging into Jesus Christ. If you recall what was going on with this one thief, something happened, and I'll talk about that in just a moment, that created this thought pattern, this conviction of spirit, this realization, this finally waking up, that he would then say this about Jesus. Phrase number one again was, to others, the thief said, this man has done nothing wrong. Here's number one. Number one is sinlessness. 
What he did at that moment, he finally recognized and he affirmed that Christ is sinless, all right, without any sin, that he was perfect. And so some of you that are perhaps now looking into, I want to come into the, uh, to the faith. I want you to understand that when you are coming into the faith in Jesus Christ, you're not following a guy who started a religion. A guy who got a bum deal at the end of his life and he was crucified. We feel sorry for him. A guy who had wonderful pithy statements that sound so good. One person so mystical we really don't know but we don't want to not know so we'll kind of hang on. What we're really saying is that Jesus Christ is God. He never sinned. He could not sin. He was absolutely 100% perfect. And so what you're looking at is Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He was sinless. The second thing that seems to be when he said, remember me when you're in paradise. And if Jesus said, then you'll see me today in paradise. Remember me. When I look at that phrase, I'm looking at this person and he's saying, you're sinless, but I want you to remember me, the sinful one, that I need a savior. Remember me when you are in paradise. Remember me. So at that very moment, something changed where he saw Jesus as someone who can, watch this, control eternity in another person's life. Did you catch that phrase? And so now they're saying, I can't control this. I'm sinful. You're perfect. You are the only one that can rescue me eternally. If you remember, one of the other phrases that was made by some of those railing on Christ was, if he's really the son of God, why don't he just come down off that cross and change all this stuff over here? Jesus never did that. Could he do that? Yep. Could he do that? Essentially, no. Why? Because it had been out of his perfect plan that was already done in God's mind before man first fell. So he couldn't really do that because the plan had been aborted. But could he do it powerfully? Yeah, he could. But that wasn't part of the plan. And so now he's looking at someone... And he says, you know what? He's not doing all of this. It doesn't mean he's less powerful. That means he's got a bigger plan. And so all of this might be going through his mind, so he's now looking at him as the Savior. I would think it's reasonable to say that that thief did not know everything about Christ, but he knew enough about Christ to now look to Christ to take care of his eternity. Now keep that in mind. I may be a preacher, been preaching a long time, taught in Bible college, leaving next week for China to teach in seminaries there. I'll be in another Bible college seminary in Singapore, then we'll be back. I am still learning nearly daily about Christ. I don't know all that there is to know about Christ. So if you're out there and you're saying in your heart, I got to know more, I got to have more, I got to have more, I got to have more, we'll give you all that you can. We will, we will park people in front of you. We will put you in front of DVDs. We'll load you up with resource material objectively so you can come to an educated decision on who Christ is and the truthfulness of Scripture and all of that. But eventually, even after we do all of that, you're going to have to take that step. And it's not going to be merely an intellectual step only. There will be some truth and intellect stuff you need to know. I get that. You get that. We understand that. But the step is still going to take a step of F-A-I-T-H, faith for you to do that and so this guy knew far less than we know about Christ and he's still going to Christ he saw him as savior well then there's a third phrase the first one is sinless Christ savior and then he says remember me when you come now that little phrase probably is something you've said a lot of times you've read through scripture but that is huge to me here you see Christ nailed to the cross. He's not popping out the nails like Superman or anything. He is hanging up there. He knows he's going to go through all of this. This other thief 
been around long enough to know that crucifixion, guys don't kind of come back from crucifixion. They die. This is the end of everything. And so for whatever reason, he's looking to Christ. He's sinless. He's the Savior. And he's also seeing, you know what? If you're going to come back again, that must mean you're going to be alive. So there's got to be a resurrection concept going on. There's a death-life thing. And you're coming back, which must mean that there's going to be the second coming. Something big is happening right here. Again, I don't understand it all. You don't understand it all. But I know this. Jesus did die. He did rise again from the dead. But let's not take him from the dead yet. Let's just, he's dead. Okay? Three days. Now we look into the tomb. Now it's empty. Well, his body's not there. Maybe a grave robber took it. Maybe the gardener took it. We learned that this morning. Where'd the body go? Did the Romans take it? Did the Jews take it and desecrate it even more? The body's not there. We don't know. And then later on, Jesus is just standing right there. He talks to Mary Magdalene. And so he is alive forevermore. So the answer is, did he come back? Yep. No, he came back to life. Watch this. But is he going to come back to earth again? The answer is yes. All right. So he's going to come back again. So I look at this. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Could it be because the Lord's looking at him and this person now said, I'm sinless, Christ. That person is sinful. Jesus is a savior. That man can't save himself. Jesus is coming back, which must mean that he's going to die and rise again, and only God can do that. So he is now looking at Christ a whole lot differently. But there's one more. There's one more. And put the word sovereignty down. So you have sinless, Savior. The third word is going to be second coming, that phrase. And the last is sovereignty. Because it says, when you come back, and I love it, in your kingdom. So he didn't see Jesus as just kind of coming back to life. He didn't just see Jesus kind of slithering back into Jerusalem again. He saw him as being king of kings and lord of lords. I may be reading a little bit into that. I get that. But when you see the word your kingdom, not the kingdom or a kingdom, when you say your kingdom, that must mean that kingdom belongs to someone else. And it's belonging to someone else because they're the owner of that kingdom. It is their kingdom, not my kingdom. And so that must mean that he is sovereign, that he is almighty God. So again, when Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, why would he say that to that thief on the cross? Because that thief on the cross grabbed four concepts. Jesus is sinless, I'm a sinner. Jesus is the Savior, I can't save myself. Jesus is coming back, which basically means he rose again from the dead. So there's the resurrection thing. And he's coming back in his kingdom, which means that he's not just coming back as a, a better good old boy, he's God Almighty. That's saying number three. So as I look at those, what are some things I can take away as my own points from this? Well, there's a couple of truths. What does this teach me? It teaches me that Jesus died bringing the truth of eternal life to condemn people. Now, do you believe that? Okay, that's truth. Do you believe that? Now, what should you do in order to have that kind of hope in your life? Well, very simply, admit to him that you know he's perfect because he's God. Admit to him, he's the only one who's sinless, and we're not. We may be better people than other people, you know, kind of relatively speaking. But in our heart, it's still depraved and wicked. We look to him as the only savior. There's not a bunch of other saviors. There's not four different ways to get to some kind of nirvana out there. There's only one heaven, only one eternal place with God, and there's only one way to get there, and it's the only person is Jesus Christ. And watch this, and it's only by faith alone in Jesus Christ. So we see him as the savior, the savior. We also see him as the second coming because he rose again from the dead. He might have been this 
horribly shredded bodied man on the cross but he was almighty God because he still licked all of that and he came back and then finally he is sovereign there is a kingdom there is an afterlife and it is his kingdom and we'll be a part of it the second part of that how this could really give me hope today is are there some people in your life that desperately need Jesus Christ as their savior I think there are it could be the people you work out with at the fitness center It could be the people who do your hair. It could be that person at the post office that you kind of see more frequently. The person who works on your car. The person who maybe comes up and down the street, checks your meter. It could be the person that uh, sits next to you when you're watching your kids play soccer. It could be the person that's on the job with you. It could be the person in the lanai. It could be someone that you just, somehow, divine connection goes on and God brings them into your life and CIO happens. What's CIO? Contact is opportunity. And so what I'd like you to think is that one more time, Jesus could still look to that person and he still wanted to bring salvation one more. To the best of my understanding of scripture, he was the last person that got saved before Jesus died. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.